0: Over the course of human history, history, history. there's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind, St. Francis of Assisi's, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals, and Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast.
1: The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa.
2: Once again, our Animal Welfare Hour exclusive to WABC. If you have not uh, been able to hear all of them on Sunday nights, 11 and 12, with my gorgeous wife Nancy, the Animal Rescuer, you could go to our our podcast list, which is voluminous, not just our podcast for animal welfare, but all the others that are heard on WABC at WABCradio.com, WABCradio.com. And more importantly, now you have episodes uh, of video, half hour videos. Created by our video staff here at WABC that they put up on YouTube. All you have to do is type in Red Apple Media. That's Red Apple Media. And we just taped episode six last week, but there are five episodes that are up that you can see. The most recent one, Nancy, is about the horse carriage industry and how it seems to have hit a malaise now. There was a lot, a lot of momentum there to finally be able to turn the horse carriage industry into an electric carriage industry, which takes place even in third-world countries now to replace the horse-drawn carriage, and it seems to have hit a brick wall.
3: Uh, Well, I mean, to some extent it has slowed down a bit, but in terms of the council members who've already agreed to this, I would say that those people you already have on board, so now it's just a question of really lobbying the outstanding um council members which can be done um on you know by the constituents so as the weather starts warming up i think people are going to see this more and it's going to be uh more in the public consciousness when they start seeing the horses uh being you know overworked in these hot days i think that's when we'll really have the push this summer
2: and as i've said many many times uh, in fact councilman uh, robert holden is uh leader of this uh to uh stopped the horse carriage industry he serves uh, middle village glendale and uh, uh uh that whole section of queens there that is that is so critical and so important to this effort because it's a blue collar working class area but this goes back to Barry Gray who used to do mid morning radios in the 60s one of the greatest broadcasters of all times so this was one of his pet peeves so this has been consistent since the 60s so, if you want to, you will see this episode, and you can see all the arguments, you can see all the players, you can see why it is that we seem to be at a stalemate and a malaise. But the first issue I want to I want to tackle this week is why oh why is the top breeded dog in the United States now the French bulldog? I mean, people seem to have an insatiable desire to have French bulldogs. Now, I don't know much about them. I know you do, Nancy. You can explain this. But all I know is every time I've seen somebody with a French bulldog, the poor dog seems like it has asthma, like it can't breathe. And I know it doesn't have asthma. It's probably just the way it physically has uh, been put together.
3: Yeah, so this uh, particular breed of dog, it's now for the first time in uh, three decades, uh, so, you know, supposedly it's. Uh, overtaken as America's number one dog, what has always been the Labrador Retriever. Now, this uh, stat actually goes by people who register their dogs. So, you know, it could just be a, a new thing in terms of registration. But um, to your point, their physical characteristics, right? So they were bred, you know, for people who own them. You know, it's uh, they look cute. Oh, they you know, their little smooshed faces. But, uh, you know, there's a, a reason that a lot of people uh, don't want to have them and a lot of uh, breeders and veterinarians really suggest against having these dogs because uh, the inherent breathing problems they have based on the structure of their their face, their nasal passages. So, uh, you know, these dogs, and again, it's not that it's across the board, but, you know, um, more so uh, proportionally than other dogs, they really lead a uh, pretty horrible life based on their Uh, their breathing patterns, but in terms of why they become popular, you know, there's, like, influencers, there's people today who have these dogs, so they're sort of trendy. Um, Obviously, the breeders, they're, um, you know, working off the fact that now this is trendy. These are very expensive dogs, so people want to have them. Same way they want to have anything that's, like, an expensive, uh, you know, item, and they're being stolen at a high proportion because of the cost of them. So, you know, this is just a, I would say it's a trendy breed right now.
2: And in the breeding process, when it's time to procreate, the French bulldog uh, cannot do it the normal way. So the handlers will take, uh, will take an item and stick it in the French bulldog and cause them all kinds of pain and strain in order to artificially inseminate them. And the dogs suffer, suffer terribly. It looks very much like a turkey baster. But they had a video that I witnessed, and the poor dog was yelping and crying, and the breeder just seemed to be impervious to any sentimentality. And just, I mean, and
3: and again, this is why you know breeding of dogs, I mean, really is just makes really no sense whatsoever. Uh, you have to look at it, I think, from a step back and the broader societal perspective. You have too many dogs. You have, you know, there's a lot of ways that you can situate uh, dogs who need homes with. Um, You know, people who want them without having to overbreed and, uh, you know, across the board, notoriously, the biggest animal abusers are breeders because of the way in which they, you know, stockpile them just for purposes of procreation, not for anything related to care. So, I mean, this is just a practice that should stop. I mean, there's no reason to be breeding dogs um, at all.
2: Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Uh, Side note, uh, when we were in the uh, Fifth Avenue St. Patrick's Day Parade at the very start, Nancy, uh, we got uh, Anthony positioned with his bagpipes and his kilts uh, so he could march with the NYU Bagpipe Brigade, which he did. But at the very front every year is the Fighting 69th, the 69th uh, Brigade from the Armory uh, downtown, they had in the lead probably the biggest dog I have ever seen in my life. They look like a horse.
3: Yeah. So it, actually, I was surprised. I had to take a, a second glance at this thing, too, because it was so completely tremendous. So this is an Irish wolfhound is what it's called. And this is, again, another dog that was specifically bred, uh, you know, has like a heritage in, uh, uh, you know, origin Ireland and this is a breed that had been uh, pretty much it's extinct for a long time. So in this breeding process, they, uh, you know, the, like 100 years ago, they sort of recreated this dog. And, you know, because of this recreation, and it's not really a natural breed, this dog, um, the same way like the French Bulldog, it ha- it's um, ridden with a lot of physical ailments. It lives a maximum of about seven years, and it doesn't seem like it's a very nice existence. So... It's, in a weird way, it's emblematic of Ireland because it's associated with their history, but yet it's not a natural dog because it's been so overbred. Now,
2: lately, we've seen time and time again dolphins come ashore dead. Whales, humpback whales, likewise. We're probably not going to hear about that happening because uh, overtaking it in terms of the news coverage is this 5,000-mile-wide patchwork of seaweed that is expected to engulf Florida. And then, obviously, right before you came on, I was describing all the craziness going on in the beaches of Florida, not Mexico, the beaches of Florida, because of spring break shootings, beatings, curfews, just craziness. But these these porpoises, these dolphins, these whales continue to die and it's almost as if the people who support green energy, clean energy, which I do, but they don't even want to look at the potentiality that these windmills that are being placed six miles off the shore within, uh, uh, within the uh, restricted areas of uh, United States uh, water areas, that because of the way they're being uh, implanted in the uh, bottom of the ocean, that it may be causing the demise of so many of these mammals.
3: Yeah so obviously again like as we we've, we've spoken of this is a connection that there's no desire to be made because you know to make the connection would mean having to halt somehow this um progress which has uh, you know way too many financial interests behind it at this point so the clear connection between what's going on and you know the the death so now if if you just go by um how uh, wildlife in general is cared for above water, you know, where everyone can see what's going on. I mean, you can only imagine what type of concern is going to be below the water where there's no eyeballs on it. So already you have, you know, this this incredible correlation between the activity and, you know, again, the the people who are responsible for telling you whether or not there's a connection, unfortunately, you know, their their vested interest is just to keep this, this going. And at the same time, again, I, I don't think there's going to be any halt in this. And you'll see an increase in it the summer. I mean, you had with this most recent example in New Jersey with this dead dolphin, you have the mayor saying, oh, we don't want anyone going to the beach. Now, of course, this is why you don't want it, because now social media will be everyone will have pictures of these dolphins on the shoreline. And to see such magnificent, beautiful creatures, I think this might be the thing that really draws the attention to it.
2: Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Whatever questions may be on your mind for the most uh, called into, requested, and uh, interested uh, in terms of our listeners here, um, the many shows that I do at WABC, where the acronym often stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis, our Animal Welfare Hour, 1-800-848-9222. Now we go to the Bronx Zoo, and we see that there are two elephants It became an issue in my mayoral campaign because I had said on behalf of Happy, the elephant there was never happy. It's like uh, always depressed, sometimes banging its head on rocks. Um, Animal welfare activists had said, hey, to the Bronx Zoological Society, let us take Happy away. Let's put it on a ranch down in Texas where there are other elephants and Happy can frolic with her fellow elephants. Why do you continue to watch this uh, elephant deteriorate? And they said no, a thousand times no. And now I see that we have some unlikely supporters on our side, Nancy. We're going to have to put aside our political differences because the DSA members, Democratic Socialists of America, in the city council, have actually introduced a bill that would in effect force the Bronx Zoo to give up custody of New York City's two remaining elephants, uh, Happy, who I've seen before, and Patty, who I've never seen before.
3: Yeah, so this is um, you know a bill that's being introduced, which um, would effectively ban elephant captivity because the minimum requirement would be 15 acres um, of space for an elephant. Uh, currently in the Bronx Zoo, they have one acre each, so more or less this is just not feasible, so that it effectively would ban them. Uh, you know, now, of course, you have the Bronx Zoo, which is still really standing, uh, you know, very strong by the fact that they want to have these elephants and, you know, it's just very absurd reasoning, you know, like it says uh, the law doesn't consider the elephants as individuals with distinct personalities, which is like an odd sort of thing, right? It's, it's um, like the, the psychology of it. It sounds almost like the mentality of like a kidnapper with its uh, captive person like, oh, No one's going to take care of you better than I'm going to take care of you, like this possessive nature they have over this elephant. And the question would be also, well, all these years that they've been profiting by virtue of having this elephant, have they put anything aside for this elephant to go to a sanctuary someday? I mean, there's no plan for them to ever let go of this elephant because it makes money for them. And so this desire to get, um, you know, that this elephant out of captivity before it dies is really the whole goal. Obviously, going forward it would make it impossible, um, you know, to get any more elephants. But at this point, you just they're just trying to get these ones out so they don't have to die in captivity. Our number
2: one 800 Now, recently we were at an event, and uh, you were on the other side of the room, Nancy, and I, I got your attention. I said, you got to come over here and meet this gentleman. Uh, he was very open about the fact that in a younger part of his life, he was hired for what lasted a week. He had to leave. He was in a laboratory where they were experimenting on monkeys, and he described some of the torturous ways to test cosmetics, opening their eyes, injecting underneath their eyelids, torturing them. He said after a week he couldn't, he couldn't go back. He, he said he, it made him want to cry. He'd look at all these monkeys. And it was all about cosmetics. And now we see another story. That involves uh, monkeys and uh, we see it all over the place how because they're so close to human beings that science says we want to uh, test monkeys but monkeys may be destroyed through no fault of their own w- what does that mean?
3: okay so the these um this is a uh, a thousand long-tailed uh, macaw monkeys is is that um you know discussion here? And what happens is these are testing lab monkeys. Now, these also happen to be endangered monkeys to begin with. They come from Cambodia. They come into the U.S. They go into laboratories, and they're tested on for uh, research purposes. But this lab that uh, brought the monkeys into the country, apparently they didn't have sufficient paperwork from where they got them from to verify that they weren't actually caught in the wild. Which is, uh, for some reason, it's like a new concern of the uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services. You know, they don't want this, right? Or they we don't want to have any, you know, trade of these illegal monkeys. So what they're now doing is they're saying you can't use these monkeys because you don't have the paperwork. So it's up to them to decide whether they're going to euthanize them, hand them over to a sanctuary, or send them back to Cambodia. So this is... The big question mark right now, what are they going to do with them? And the whole purpose of this is to try and crack down on um, monkey laundering, you know, to have that, like, illegal trade. But unfortunately, these innocent monkeys are caught up in this mix. It's like they had nothing to do with what potentially happened with incorrect paperwork. And they're they're literally going to serve no purpose whatsoever and potentially be euthanized.
2: Euthanized, brought over to be tested on, which at times is... So overly inhumane and cruel, released to a sanctuary, which would seem to be the easiest thing, correct, or transported back to Cambodia, which would say, boy, that's a long trip. Uh, some of these uh, monkeys may not survive uh, that trip uh, because they would be in such cloistered uh, uh, facilities uh, as they would be be transported back to uh, Cambodia, uh, to Phnom Penh. So I would say, just release them to a sanctuary.
3: I mean, that would seem the most logical thing to do if you were concerned about the welfare of the monkeys. Nothing else makes sense. I mean, it's, it's bad enough that you brought them over to do this in the first place, but the fact that a company messed up the paperwork shouldn't account for the, these innocent animals dying. Oh,
2: absolutely not. Our number is one 800 let us take a few calls now. We have other subjects yet to comment on. Let's go to Bob in Long Beach. Uh, your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour here at WABC, Bobby.
0: Yeah, Curtis, look, I guess I usually, I'm a big adoption guy. I was adopt. I've had dogs ever since I was a kid. I'm a dog nut. My son drops me off a French bulldog. Now, this dog was born in a home setting. I saw you would like to be born when his dog was born. I'm telling you, this dog was a pure whiner. He had a sign of paper. No breeding of this dog under penalty of war. The dog has pet insurance. The dog has love. The dog has its own cemetery plot. Okay? I mean I mean it's ridiculous. I know to buy a dog eats out. But this French bulldog, it, we had her sinuses lasered. She had a little uh, bladder stones. I mean, this dog, this dog is taken care of. My dog Winston, my English, who passed. We had to go to Tennessee to get him. Very strict bloodlines. No interbreeding. Not at least from four or five, maybe even six states away. I mean, but I'm, like I said, I'm for adoption. You know what I mean? But he dropped me off the dog. And, you know, once they put this little puppy that the eyes ain't open in front of you yet, the dog didn't have any time to be mistreated. The eyes were barely open. But it was from a home. And when I looked at the guy, I went to see the dog. I said to the breeder, I said, hey. I said to him, is the dog well? He looked at me and I could tell, and Nancy can too, because she's a dog nut like me or an animal nut. He looked at me and said, I don't sell a sick dog. I love my poochers. I said, well, I get I looked at him and I knew he was a dog nut. So that's what I'm saying.
2: No, no, you're absolutely right. I, I just, I cannot for the life of me understand why people have this insatiable desire to have French bulldogs, you look at them, you can see they they have such a difficult time breathing. It's almost as if they're asthmatic, but they're not. And then I've described to you, now. if you're going to go out and get a French bulldog, they are not procreating in the normal capacity. The breeders are taking what is like a turkey baster, jamming it in them. The female dog is crying unmercifully, crying. It's a horrible thing to watch. And now, of course, you're saying, "I don't want to, I don't want to see it." Yeah, but you want French bulldogs? Why? What's the purpose in the breeding that ends up torturing these puppies that come out, and they end up being tortured the rest of their life? Not by you being abusive, but they have such a difficult time breathing. I mean, uh, breathing.
3: Well, as the caller had mentioned, though, too, right? So. Um, he had gone, I guess, the next step where there was like the sinus surgery. So there are things that you can do. And if you do have this, um, you know, breed of dog, if you're aware of the medical conditions. But, again, it's, you know, trying to get ahead of it and being aware that this is an issue that is common with the breed. So, you you know, it's going to require probably a lot of additional costs.
2: Our number is one 800 let us go to Mike in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike.
1: Hello Curtis and Nancy. Yeah, uh, thank you, Nancy and Curtis, for staying on top of the will and dolphin situation. Um, uh, since last week there was I think three or four dolphins got washed up, but either these dolphins are getting held by electricity in the water and drowning and then the current sweeping them away, or they're being murdered because I got a feeling that that maybe damaging these uh, these uh, water mill generators. And maybe they're just taking them out of the way and possibly towed out to sea. Uh, they made an excuse that uh, they're being hit by uh, ships. But dolphins swim faster than ships, so that doesn't add up. And when they're starting to make excuses, either they're ramming them with their mini subs or killing them. You know, it's very easy to go underneath the whale and ram them with a mini sub and just tow them out to sea or putting a heavy weight and sinking them. Because all of a sudden we don't see them for the past two weeks, you know, except for the dolphins. They, you know, they they might, might have got out of their their scope. You know what I'm saying? So uh, we don't we don't. I don't know if these moles are, are, are on inter- international waters, but they must be selling us the electricity. So I think people should get in touch with like Schumer and the rest of these bureaucrats, and and tell them. Listen, either they make this transparent or we don't buy the electricity, or we don't buy their stocks and stuff like that. we gotta, we got to put something on them. What do you think, Nancy and uh, uh, Curtis? Well,
2: i tell you what, Mike, uh, what's happening is they're trying to say that people like yourself, me, Nancy, who question why all of a sudden there's so many whales, porpoises, and dolphins coming ashore, dead, mangled, disoriented, their uh, GPS, their natural GPS systems have failed them. We believe it's because of the way the windmills are being constructed offshore. They don't want to even look at it, consider it. And so now, whenever you say this, they are claiming that you are spreading right wing conspiracies.
3: yeah, I mean, and just to use an example too, with the uh, offshore winds that they're you know the wind turbines that they're building, so you're talking about structures that are forty feet wide, four hundred feet tall and are being bolted to the ocean floor with pile drivers so if you think there's going to be no effect to underwater animals you're crazy and imagine
2: because we don't trust the authorities when they tell us mind your own business it has nothing to do with the construction of the windmills or the operation of the windmills out at sea uh, at the 6 mile limit then immediately, if we continue to question the authority, they say, well, you're a white right wing conspiracy nut. Wow. Well, thank you for Jersey. we don't have a right to ask questions. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, this is happening. And there doesn't seem to be an apparent reason like, well, they got hit by ships. It's the same number of ships in the shipping lanes. The only new thing out there that's been added, which it's not a virus.
3: It's windmills. Yeah, I mean, and and they're not even providing any alternative suggestion as to what it could be. So if these are the people responsible for uh, investigating this and they also have a vested interest in moving forward with this, it's – the reality is that these are the last people you're going to take for – for the answers to this question
2: our number is one 800 it's the animal welfare edition here at WABC that's one eight hundred eight four eight let's go to Phyllis in Queens your turn to be heard Phyllis
0: hello hello to you Curtis and Nancy thank you for doing this wonderful wonderful show and always taking care of the animals I have a special question to ask I need some advice or assistance I have two beautiful cats they're my support therapy pets and I may have to leave my apartment and I want to be sure they're safe. I don't know the pet laws as they are now. They may have changed. Can you help me find a fostering place, like a just temporarily for a short time? Could you foster them or could you refer me to somebody who could do that?
3: I think I could find um foster places that would um work with you. And the and you're saying these are um they they're therapy pets? Is that what they are?
0: Well they're my you know you get a support letter My pets that I can't be separated from them, or at least not for long, or I'll be very upset.
3: Oh, no, no, yeah, no, and and definitely um, there are... I've had
0: them for several years, and they're really wonderful. They're sweet-tempered and everything, you know.
3: Yeah, there are definitely um, local uh, groups that will um, assist for just this purpose of having um, sort of a temporary foster needed um, in moving situations, so... Uh, if we take your information, I can definitely put you in touch with. Some yeah, Ken, uh, make
2: yourself useful, uh, please. Uh, get Phyllis's information, and Nancy will follow up on that request. Uh, I don't know, Ken. It's kind of difficult for him to. Oh, let's face it; he's just still not. So, would you make sure, Alec, that he follows up on that? Please don't leave Phyllis hanging. It seems like she has. Uh, she's really traumatized by this, as many people are when they're forced to leave their pets. I'm assuming. Phyllis might be going in for surgery, medical procedure. They won't let you have your pets, obviously, in the hospital. But oftentimes, sometimes people they they have to leave their pets with somebody because where they ha- are forced to go, they cannot take their pets with them. And there ought to be more facilities uh, that are able to care for them in that in, in that time where the person is away from their pets.
3: Yeah, I mean, when uh, when you had your surgery. And I had to, you know, be there at the hospital for a while. I actually had to have my mom. She came down to watch the cats. But, you know, when you have any situation where you can't be at home, uh, you know, obviously, especially or or if you're moving, uh, something like that, you know, temporary situations. There are, uh, especially with the dogs, those are difficult because, you know, you'll need to have a very set location for them. So, yeah, understandable. And there are definitely places out there that assist with just that.
2: Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Robert in Suffolk. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition here at WABC. Robert.
4: Good evening, Curtis. Nancy, I like
0: the work you do, and I have a question related to it. Have you, either of you, rescued any cats off the street and kept them as pets?
2: Well, there was probably the most difficult rescue I did, because Nancy has done far more than I've done. But we were patrolling the fourth ward of Patterson. It was a hot, sweltering July day. I mean, it was over 100 degrees. And there were two gangs that were fighting on a corner, because that's a really bad area, Robert. They do open drug dealing. They've had shootouts, uh, open gang warfare. And I saw immediately there was this little kitten that had been battered and bruised. And it was between the two gangs that were battling. They didn't even spot the kitten. So Uh. we jumped out of our uh, guardian angel vehicle. We ran. We separated the gangs. We started slamming them. And the kitten was so frightened that it tried to burrow itself into this abandoned store under the gate. And I had to reach in and pull the kitty out. Naturally, the kitty was afraid and was scratching my hand because it assumed that I was up to no good and maybe I was involved in this uh, conflict that it had just witnessed, that had scared the bejeebers out of it. Uh, we uh. named the cat Patterson. We brought it back to Nancy. And, Nancy, you probably had the most difficult job of physically getting Patterson back because – Patterson was all gnarled. Patterson was like in really bad shape. Really bad shape.
3: Yeah, it's tough when they're they're small like that because, you know, usually they haven't been around their mother for a while, so they're lacking a lot of the normal antibodies they would get. So you know, they, they have everything you can imagine, the upper respiratories and it takes a while for their immunity to kick in. So I just remember this you know, this cat having everything you could imagine, worms uh, you know, and it took s- about two, three months before the cat was sort of fully recovered. But, I mean, a cat outside like that, when they're tiny, they can't make it by themselves. So if you see them by themselves, chances are it's, you know, you just want to grab them because it's not natural for them to ever be alone like that.
2: And I'll never forget, as we had cornered the cat and I had was able to take the kitten out from underneath the grill of this empty store, A young boy came up, very well-intentioned, and says, why don't you call the ASPCA? I said, no, we don't want to kill the cat. In this condition, they would euthanize the cat. They would not think that, A, it's worth the time or the resource or the energy that Nancy put into nursing the cat back to health. So they would have euthanized it. So I told the young boy, I taught him a lesson. I said, no, when an animal's in this condition, you never want to call the ASPCA or the local shelter system in that particular city. And eventually you found uh, Patterson a home of her own, right?
3: Yeah, correct. So, I mean, it worked out well. I mean, uh, the the cat obviously was super great, super cool. I remember uh, the cat had to go to work with you a couple times uh, during its recovery period but you know we, we were able to socialize and uh you know get her back to good health and it's a great cat now so just a great family member
2: our numbers one 800 that's 1-800-848-WABC talk
1: radio 77 WABC the Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Slewa Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa.
2: Let's continue to go to the phones, Nancy. 1-800-848-9222. To Bob in the Gateway to the World Bayonne in Hudson County, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bobby. Hi,
1: right, Curtis and Nancy. Thanks
2: for having me on. Listen uh dolphins don't they communicate by sound waves and they're piling these large metal beams into the ocean floor causing all that disturbance and vibrations in the water i think that discombobulating the whales and these these dolphins they don't know what to do
1: they're going in different directions probably getting too close to the to the beaches and drowning themselves
2: no, there's no doubt bob also the noise factor you know how noise affects uh human beings it can throw off your equilibrium uh especially exactly. older older folks uh if it's too noisy they they they're almost impaired they they almost lose their way and i must tell you um i'm really really um uh, disappointed in the uh, environmentalists who believe in green energy, clean energy like that, produced by windmills, because I'm an environmentalist. I was probably an environmentalist before they were, Bob. But I'm here right. to say, wait a second, this is a, a an unusual phenomenon with all the years that we've had whales and dolphins and porpoises out at sea. Now all of a sudden this, what is the only thing that changed, Bob? And they won't even mm-hmm. take a moment to say... Let's stop for, like, six months and just study this and find out, because the, the more windmills we put up, the more of these uh, mammals could be killed and injured. Exactly. It's getting so bad. I hear the starting spot you know, the, these animals in the Hudson River and the East River. The dolphins are coming up this way, so it's got to be bad. Well, no, Bob, the reason they're coming up this way is the water is clean now. The federal uh, legislation that was passed, the Clean Water Act, has actually had tremendous benefits, and now it has made waterways. I mean, you were just mentioning the Gowanus Canal and how toxic that remains. Well, we passed over it today uh, on the F train. We were coming right over the Gowanus Canal, and based on what you told me, Nancy, how the toxic fumes that are coming out of the Gowanus Canal there in Brooklyn – I looked down and I looked at the water and I said, wow, that's like jumping into a pool of toxicity. You would probably end up being disintegrated in that water. You
3: know, there, there's actually been a lot of stories, it's not only dolphins and you know marine wildlife, but people who've gone into the Kiwanis Canal. So several years back, there was someone trying to elude the police and tried to run through the canal and died just by being in it for a little bit. But this has been declared a super fun site. They've known for a very long time that the um, the air that's actually coming up from it is cancer causing. Uh, that in itself is just insanity. But I mean, that's the water and that water continues to be connected to everything else. So if dolphins are feeling that that's a safer place to swim, that's cleaner waterways I think that speaks volumes for what's going on elsewhere.
2: I think uh, just like the Hudson River up near the old uh, General Electric plant off of Schenectady, there were all those PCBs, and I'll never forget the CEO from Boston, used to appear on the Don Imus show, I'm forgetting his name, said, oh, I'll drink the water there, there's no PCBs. He never drank the water, it was loaded with PCBs. That's very carcinogenic, very damaging to all kinds of... uh, Life in the waterways. Let's go to Frankie, New Jersey, who wants to follow up on that. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Frankie.
0: Hey, Curtis, how you doing, sir? Quick question for you. Um, these windows, are these just along the Metro New York, New Jersey area? Are they down in Georgia? Or are they up in Maine? Are they having the same problems along the shoreline there?
2: Well, there are a number of locations, both on land and at sea. Probably the most controversial was... They wanted to put the first windmills outside of Cape Cod, Martha's Vineyard, and you know who objected to that? Yeah. That was Ted Kennedy when he was alive. He had a fit, a hissy fit, a drunken hissy fit, I might add. Here was the guy who was basically saying, "Do as I say, but not as I do." He wanted windmills, but not off of Martha's Vineyard, not off of Cape Cod.
3: Now, in terms of some of the windmills, there are there are other countries that have been uh, utilizing this type of energy for a while. So there there are actual models for what's been going on. But and, and also on the West Coast, there's a certain degree of this that's been happening for a few years. But one of the distinctions is that some of these wind turbines, they're external, like meaning that they're floating above the water. The difference that that's happening here on the East Coast is that these are ones that are being drilled directly into the ocean floor. So this is actually being done in a very different way than the other ones, which is why I think it has this um, greater impact that we're seeing.
2: Let's go to Levi in Queens. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC. Levi?
4: Yeah, hi. So this outdoor cat that's been uh, hanging out uh, with me for like the past three months, um, I have a neighbor who is also friendly with the cat, and she does a lot to take care of it. Uh, It's been coming over every day, and... um, just basically being there the whole day and we noticed that it was pregnant and now it's interesting because uh and i it suddenly disappeared for like two days and that night before it disappeared it led me over like a block and a half uh to some kind of house and whatever i didn't think anything else. i mean i kind of thought something was going on but let she's showing me something but then uh, she disappeared the next day and then um two days later i found her look across the street And uh, I followed her and I saw that uh, basically she gave birth uh, to these kittens uh, on someone's property, uh, like in front of the house, basically like inside a ditch. And um, so uh, me and my neighbor, we've been trying to, you know, kind of giving her food, like going to that place. We made arrangements with the owners and we let them know what's going on. And and the question is, because she does come over to, uh, to our place like around once a day, so we do give her food. The question is, would it be a good idea to relocate the cats to bring them over to here, I mean, just to make life easier for everybody, or is that, and if so, like how to go about it?
3: Yeah, so actually, that's that's a good question. So if it's if it's safe for where she's at, um, you know, and, and they're there, it's not the worst thing in the world, but obviously, you know, yeah, so there's a couple things to consider, right? So uh, the potential for maybe these kittens being able to be adopted out, um, if you could catch her. Now, if she's coming over all the time, obviously, once you grab her, It'll be easy just to grab the little babies and wherever you put them. so if you put them um, right there in your area and this way is sort of a protected area, that could be actually a, a good thing this way they're all going to be there, and then hopefully you can start it where you'll you can grab these little babies and get them adopted out because that would be the goal, right? You want to get her fixed and this way she doesn't have to do that no more. but yeah, it would be an easy thing probably to transition. You catch her once you catch her, all you got to do over is, is like scoop up the little babies.
2: Let's go to Rich calling from Connecticut. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, uh, Rich.
5: Yes, uh hi hi Curtis, uh, good evening. Uh just a a comment about the uh wind, windmills, the wind vanes. Uh I believe that it's uh there's something else going on and what's going on is that uh once the windmills are built uh in a wilderness area, that wilderness area then loses its designation as a wilderness area. And it 's open to extractive industries to to forestry to mining, uh, if it 's on land, and probably uh, maybe the same thing to drilling uh, in the waters so uh, the windmills, while uh, uh, such as i 'm an environmentalist, I worked for New York City EPA ages ago. I think they 're really not environmental at all, but they 're really uh, something the opposite and uh, that uh, uh, Other environmentalists don't realize this, but uh, one reason why Warren Buffett, I think, was so attracted to this industry uh, and others uh, is is to destroy the wilderness designation.
2: Well, I must tell you, Rich, uh, it's baffling to me why you can't even – Think that this may be a rational reason why these great mammals—the whales, the porpoises, the dolphins—are being slaughtered. Say, like, well, if there's nothing else that has occurred, right? Factor it in. This is the only thing that's changed. Let's let's just stop the windmills. Somehow, we'll survive as a society. We survived before without the windmills. They don't produce so much energy that we're massively dependent on it now. And just wait like six months, study it completely, and then you could start to uh, construct them again, let them start producing energy, but in a much safer manner to the mammals in the sea.
3: I mean, and and unfortunately, there's this lack of concern over the marine wildlife, but what they're really dropping the ball on is that everything is just so interconnected. So what's happening in the ocean is inevitably going to affect the land, every other creature and us. So... You know, I mean, like everything else, it's just follow the money. No one's really concerned about the animals. No one's concerned about the impact on the environment as much as they try to claim this is what it's for. uh, It really is doing a disservice and destroying the environment.
2: Let's go to Larry in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Larry. Yeah, hi, Curtis. Hi, Nancy.
0: I can't believe that you're not talking about that that monstrous act that was done by the New York uh, that kill shelter where they killed a 19-year-old, uh, a Maltese poodle that wandered away from its home in Briarwood, Queens. Did you hear about that?
3: Oh, yeah. we uh, Last week um, on the show on Sunday, we actually had um, someone call in to uh, bring that up. I think that was the exact day that it happened. So, yeah, and this was, uh, to your point, so this was a dog that had been lost, and the people right away had realized, and, you know, right away they're putting up signs, they're calling, they called the shelter, the shelter within three hours, had put this dog down. Now, obviously, the minimum requirement is you have to wait three days. They came up with all these reasons as to why this was okay. But, I mean, this is just another example of what the shelter system does. They get a dog in. They get an animal in. uh, You know, there's no concern for, you know, trying to even place them with the owner or what to do. It, it's like a mill. They, you know, they don't have any more space. So let's just get rid of this one. So it's least uh, not very adoptable. Let's just kill it.
2: There was a demonstration yesterday by animal uh, lovers uh, outside of the Animal Care and Control Center in Brooklyn, which is in East New York, across from the Cypress uh, Projects, which are very dangerous. Uh, you have uh, the boulevard projects. You have the pink houses in that area, very dangerous area because it was the Brooklyn uh, the Brooklyn uh, Animal Care and Control Center that euthanized this dog without any rational reason. Now, that's the same Animal Care and Control Center that Nancy was speeding off to in the middle of my campaign. It was in the summer. She was in the Guardian Angel Animal Protection Band. She told me what she was going to do because they were going to kill this, uh, this one kitten. And she had till 5 o'clock at night to rescue this kitten. And when you told me, even though I had a full day of campaigning yet to go, I said, no, 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 you're not going out there alone. I'm going with you. (laughs) There was just two shootings in the past three days out there. And I'll never forget, we were on our way. We were on Woodhaven Boulevard, maybe like 15 minutes away from Linden Boulevard. And you got the call that... um, Really changed everything in my life. I don't think you realize this, Nancy, but I saw you crying uncontrollably, banging on the dashboard. You were in such anger. What did the animal care and control uh, person in charge at that center tell you at that time at 3 o'clock in the afternoon?
3: Well, they had euthanized the kitten that I was going to pick up. So, you know, they decided to take a second look at it and. Uh, on second thought, they decided not to relinquish his, this kitten to me.
2: And because they wanted to close early.
3: Yeah, they they were afraid I might not make it in time. So they just wanted to, a to close
2: side. at 3 o'clock instead of 5 o'clock, and they killed this kitten. And I remember you were crying uncontrollably, you were righteously angry, and I said to you, that's, that's the reason I have to become mayor, so that we have no kill shelters. We can't allow this. By the way, they don't even have personnel in these shelters overnight to care for these animals. You would think that they would be fully staffed with the millions and millions of dollars that they get. And so if it comes punch-out time, they will they will execute animals. Because they don't want to be bothered to stay a few minutes later, a few hours later, or do what they can to adopt these animals. Uh, these needy animals, and they'd have no compun- compulsion whatsoever to just say, eh, it's another day, we just, it's an assembly line, we'll have to uh, euthanize three of these animals today because we want to go home early. It's the same shelter. It's the same shelter. And uh, we'll give everybody an update next week. We could not go. We had planned to go on Saturday, but so many things were happening with the guardian angels themselves that had prevented us from going. Uh, But we'll give everybody an update in terms of uh, what is being done for that family who feels like they had a family member of theirs executed by animal care and control that gets millions of our tax dollars and has no, absolutely nothing hanging over their head where they have to explain themselves.
3: Yeah, I mean, this this idea that uh, you can explain it away, oh, it's an older dog, and, you know, it probably didn't have that much time left. I mean, I know with every cat that we've ever had, Uh, you know, even when they're at the end of life, one of the biggest things I would never want them to be by themselves when that's done. I think that's like a very important moment. And the last, I mean, just to think about the fact that basically this family member of yours for two decades in that last moment, you weren't there for them when you planned to be their whole life. I mean, you took that opportunity away from them and the dog died by themselves like that. Is a really horrific act, and they're really just brushing over it as though it's no big deal. Well,
2: we have our oldest cat. We call her AARP Tuna. If if she were in a shelter now, they would euthanize her without a doubt. Oh, yeah. And yet every day she gets up, she goes on her constitution, she eats, she's 14 years old, she's neurologically impaired, and yet this cat does not want to die, does not has the greatest fight to stay alive that I have ever seen in my life. I mean, at times, she's flattened out on the floor. She looks like she's dead. I have to feel her right by her neck to see if she has a pulse. And yet every day she gets up, she takes her constitution, she eats a little bit, drinks a little bit, and then she flops back down and it looks like she's dead. If she were in a shelter, they would kill Tuna. And remember, for all of you, you know, Tuna was the cat that was in my first TV commercial when I was running for mayor against Eric Adams, and Tuna stole the show. Nobody cared about what I had to say. Everybody wanted to know who's that cat? Oh, Tuna, she's so beautiful. What? What is she? Uh, she's a Russian blue.
3: Oh, yeah, Russian. Yeah, correct, Russian blue cat.
2: Oh, beautiful cat. Anyway, if anybody needs to get in touch with you uh, over the course of the next week, how can they do that, Nancy?
3: Well, they can go to www. Uh, dot guardianangels dot org or email me directly nancy at guardianangels dot org.
2: Remember, and you can uh, listen to many of our other programs done exclusively here at WABC by going to the podcast of the previous episodes on radio. You go to uh, wabcradio.com dot com. You can not only listen to the animal welfare one hour programs done on Sunday nights from eleven to twelve, as we're doing it now. But you can listen to all the other podcasts by all the other hosts and hostesses here at WABC. And now that we have video, half-hour videos that we do each and every week on Wednesdays, it takes the crew a week to upload them on YouTube. You type in uh, Red Apple Media. That's Red Apple Media. And the latest episode, episode uh, 6, no, episode 5, is about the horse carriage industry. And the brutality that exists in that industry and why or why we haven't retired those horses to pasture so they can enjoy their final years and replace them with uh, mechanical vehicles that have replaced horse-drawn carriages in third world countries.